Joanne Wilson, and this is Positively Gotham Gal. Real, honest, and meaningful conversations with women entrepreneurs about their approach to life, business, and everything in between. Helen Thorogood is the tech executive turned impact entrepreneur behind Radical, a health tech company revolutionizing clinical trials for natural medicine. After a successful career in tech, she co-founded Holistic Research and Education Foundation, a public nonprofit dedicated to cannabis, CBD research, education, advocacy, before co-founding The Radical Science. This podcast episode will highlight Pellin's unique entrepreneurial journey and lessons learned while navigating the world of tech and natural medicine. So we're just going to chat about you. So you have had such an incredible career. And I love this quote that you said, the most important thing I'd say is it's not about showing that we are as good as the men, but really showing that we bring in diversity of thinking and diversity of approach. It's leading with the head and the heart. It's intuitive, creative nature, and perhaps even the nurturing and mentoring elements that women can bring in that. We're just different. And that difference is super addictive and super powerful. I could not agree with that more. I mean, Thank you. we are in such weird times that, you know, the importance of having more women around the table is beyond. So let's just sort of talk like you grew up not here. And, you know, so talk about, you know, where you grew up and, and, and how you got into entrepreneurship and, you know, what was sort of your driving factor? Of course. So, yeah, I uh, born and raised in Istanbul, Turkey, so definitely did not grow up here. Um, my dad worked for NATO, so I had spent a lot of time traveling around Europe. My mom worked for a Swiss firm. So, you know, being in Europe, speaking multiple languages and have uh, being across multiple cultures in just a matter of a couple of hours was the norm. But America was this faraway place, right? Totally. When you lived in Istanbul, did you just travel back and forth around Europe with the family or did you just stay like that was your home spot? Istanbul was my home spot, but I spent a lot of summers where my dad was. So I would spend extended period of not like a week or two, but a few months in different places, uh, including right. like I've done summer school in Austria, spent summers in Italy, you know, would go to again, Switzerland, France, the UK for weeks at a time. So that was normal. But my schooling, I went to an amazing American high school in Istanbul. So um, a lot of my um, teachers were from the U.S., but almost all the students were Turkish. So it was a very unique environment. It looked like a mini Ivy League. I mean, it was this 150-year school with pillars and ivy on the walls. It was great. And many of us, you know, aspire to go to the U.S. for college. I did need a scholarship to make that happen, so I wasn't sure if it was going to happen. But, you know, long story short, very fortunate to get a full scholarship to go to uh, Cornell to study where you froze. <laughs> where it snows, uh, but where also there's an amazing engineering school, which is what I wanted to study. And uh, basically, yeah, I turned 18 and a week later, I was on a flight to JFK and then up to Ithaca, New York. And the big joke was there was like, oh my God, you're from Turkey. Is this really different? And I'm like, yes, but not the way you think it. I've never been in a small town like this. And I'm, I'm from a massive city. I'm across Europe. And here I am in this tiny little cute town in the middle of nowhere, literally. <laughs> um, but uh, 
I loved Cornell. I was there for undergrad and my both my grad degrees. And in addition to the amazing education that I got, I also realized my love of the outdoors was there because, I mean, Cornell is really pretty. We're surrounded by gorges and waterfalls and state parks. So I also discovered a different part of me there outside of the the European culture, museums, you know, going to the opera girl, which, you know, I like, but I realize I'm much more the outdoors person. And so I'm grateful for both the education and the experience. Yeah, I mean, living in Europe and being able to have that freedom to go to such different cultures in like an hour is, um, I think, one of the greatest gifts ever. So when you graduated as an engineer, you know, what was your first step in terms of, okay, where am I going to go? Where am I going to land? What am I going to do? Well, so realize I'm an international student and uh, I can't just go work anywhere. It's, that's not how it works. You have to get a work permit. Unfortunately. Right. Which is so annoying, right? It's, I mean, I, it, it, it drives me crazy. If we have people that come here that are educated here, that are thrilled to stay here, why don't we give them um, citizenships, but whatever. We aren't going to go off on that tangent. So you had to get a visa. Definitely, definitely not. That is definitely not a topic. But the good news was, I guess uh, that was uh, entrepreneurship or being entrepreneurial is not about starting a company. It's about how you approach everything. And that's how yes. I look at it. And at the time, I mean, you realize we're talking mid 90s, not like, you know, last year. So it wasn't like I could Google different companies and apply. Google did not exist. So exactly. I, was, uh, <laughs> I was basically looking at like opportunities, making phone calls, obviously, not a lot of them were answering writing letters as in physical letters that I was mailing with my resume, and was fortunate enough to get a bunch of job interviews flew to California, which is where I wanted to be. And I still am. So obviously, that was a good pick. And uh, just went for the different jobs they had to like me and like me enough to actually get me all the visa and uh, so it wasn't like oh you're good why don't you start tomorrow it's like oh we're gonna also pay for lawyers and do all this extra stuff so yeah which is a big deal so I got that done I was they moved me and I started working as an engineer and then you know Fast forward, I did undergrad and master's in engineering at Cornell and my MBA. And my business school professor in entrepreneurship had become kind of my mentor and was has stayed as my mentor until his recent death. He introduced me to UC San Diego Connect program, which was all about entrepreneurship and creating community and, you know, academic collaborations. So, uh, Again, long story short, through that, I ended up being part of a really interesting startup and then ended up moving to the Bay Area and then ended up coming to here for another company. But somehow I ended up being in the midst of the big data and analytics, just crazy growth phase, something that my educational background, as well as my way of thinking, really supported and um, became chief marketing officer website story, which, you know, we literally created web analytics. We created digital marketing. So I was in the middle of a category creation, how business is being done in a very different manner, changing the DNA of a marketer to become data driven, you know, et cetera. So very fortunate. You were very at the nascent. I mean, what's incredible when you hire marketing people now and you realize the job was completely different 20 years ago. Totally. And, you know, and it is, it's about data. It's about um, acquisition. I mean, it's a very, very, in many ways, an engineering type creative business when you're a marketer. Absolutely. And of course, my younger self at the time when they suggested that, I was like, but I'm an engineer. Why are you asking me this? Uh, but, the, you know, and then, of course, everything makes sense. And 
it was such a cool place to be, to be left and right brain. And, you know, one of the terms we actually created with then my, you know, one of the amazing people I work with at Website Story was creativity without conversions equals zero. Because it is. It's about trying to get to the business, but you also need the creativity because that's how you do the testing and everything else. Absolutely. So, uh, and that was the way of thinking, left brain, right brain, being a content engineer. So that figuring out which content works and why. And it was a very interesting place to be. And I have to say, I really enjoyed the combination of that left brain, right brain. Well, probably, I mean, just like anything, right? All the dots connect. There's probably something about being put into something that you didn't think was engineering, but realized you were using your brain and then opening up another thing that has you know, been the trajectory of where your career has gone. Absolutely. It was what I did. It was really enjoyable. And just being at the forefront of something like that, moving at light speed, I realized that's just what I enjoy. And website store did very well. We had an amazing IPO. Then we were four years later acquired by Omniture Adobe. And then again, fast forward, I ended up uh, becoming the CEO of a spinoff from Website Story. Not a company I founded. It was actually this company was founded by the original Website Story founder who wanted to then take it to the next level, multi-channel analytics, not just web. And so he called me, I joined and ended up raising the venture capital and becoming CEO of a company called Animetrics, predictive multi-channel analytics. I mean, these are everyday terms now. It wasn't 10 years ago. So again. No, it wasn't at all. It wasn't at all. But it is the basis of every business and, you know, the foundation of those kind of analytics. I mean, I remember sitting around tables and we would be talking about data and I was like, I'm not even so sure most of the people that we're giving this data to knows what to do with it. You're right. I mean, you don't because actually... That's the problem with data. Everybody says they want more data. And my question is like, but what are you going to do with it? What action are you going to take based on that? And you realize 80, 90% of the data we get is useless, at least in the form we get it or with the way we're thinking. So all we're doing is really filling up our head, feeling very stressed because we're like, oh my God, I have all this data. I need to do something differently, but never connecting the dots between the data, its insights, and the action we would take based on that, that might be different than without that data. And if you don't connect those dots, then all you created is a lot of stress, (laughs) but not a lot of improvements. A hundred percent. Yes. Well, I think it's like startups that end up realizing, you know, on Wednesday morning, they haven't figured it out. And someone puts the dots together and says, oh my God, we should do this. Not much has really changed within the company. The only thing has changed is what you're doing with that information. That's exactly right. So everybody, you know, for a long time, the term actionable insights, actionable data, et cetera, became a term. But I think people really need to focus that those are not just buzzwords. If it is not actionable by you, Not just that data is not actionable, but by you. What are you going to do with it? Do you have the processes? Do you have the waves of thinking to understand what that means for you? Then you're spending a lot of time and money on data, but you're not actually reaping the benefits. And so that was a very interesting phase of my life, again, to connect the dots across multiple channels, realizing that as you enrich data from different channels, different trends emerge, hidden correlations emerge. So it's not even answering the question you asked but bubbling up answers to questions you hadn't even thought about. 
And that's actually a really cool place to be. Exactly. I totally agree. It's a fun place to be. It is a fun place to be. And you realize that's when you get exponential improvements because you're not just saying, oh, I wonder if this happens. Great. Maybe you answered that question. But then you'll see these other insights. It's really, at the end of the day, pattern recognition and understanding how you leverage that data to drive different elements of your business in tandem. So it's all related. That's why the multi-channel data affects really everything across the company as well. Not It's not just a singular, you know, acute fix. It's a changing how we behave, how we think, how we approach everything. So again, that was a phenomenal phase. I really enjoyed it. We got acquired in um, 2015. And that's basically was, I was loved being an evidence-driven executive, looking at, you know, being good at understanding data and leveraging that to make better business decisions. And that's until disaster kind of struck the family. My husband ended up having just a really major heart event that was genetically oriented. I mean, it basically started from a bicuspid valve, too much medical detail. But long story short, again, multiple open-heart surgeries, a lot of opioids to deal with all the pain afterwards. And, you know, obviously changed our family dynamics in a big way with all just comas and everything else. That's when I started looking at alternative medicines to see what is there, what can we do, because there's got to be a better way because... There has to be a better way. And you were ahead of the curve because... I mean, even now you're reading the data that less people are using all of those pharmaceutical products and using more holistic products, be it cannabis or cannabinoids or whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. And it's like, again, that's the point about being a data-driven person. It's not like I want this to work. I want something to work. I'm willing to explore. And if they don't work, I'm willing to accept that and explore other things. So it's having that objective evaluation of data versus trying to prove something to be right because that attachment is not healthy for anyone. And that data then also it can be misleading. So for me, it was true exploration. I found some you know great things that work on the cannabinoid side. Also realized there was no data on this in a bunch of anecdotal conversations. But no data in the United States because there is like, I believe Israel has a lot of data on some of this stuff. Israel has been way ahead of the curve. Way ahead. I mean, just way, way ahead of the curve. But even there, I mean, it's basically as a world, we hadn't done enough exploration in the current scientific method. Yet there's been you know, thousands of years of anecdotal usage across cultures, across different disease conditions, across different health improvements, you know, or just general well-being improvements. And yet we didn't do blinded placebo-controlled human trials on them, right? So it's... uh... Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, everyone has used them, but there's been no data. Which is when... This was an interesting shift in my life. A really good family friend who came to also visit us to see how my husband is doing, etc., said he'd seen amazing benefits for his son with cerebral palsy. This is Andy Nord I'm talking about, and he's, he's just an absolute dear friend. And he and I decided to do something about it, and we started Holistic Research and Education Foundation. And holistic is spelled with a W for a lot of reasons, uh, not just to confuse people, but because we were talking about whole body yes. and whole plant. Yes. It was about both. I wanted to have a more of a, as an engineer, systems approach, right? You don't fix the heart on its own. It's your whole body. You don't fix individual organs. It's a holistic view to the body. But also, instead of just looking at APIs for drugs, active pharmaceutical ingredients, which are much easier to study when you study a single thing, how about understanding 
uh, synergistic plant effects. I don't mean, I mean just a, the entourage effect term from cannabis, but I mean, eating an orange is different than having vitamin C, that concept, right? So that's a great analogy. So that's what we wanted to start. And we started a 501c3, a public 501c3 to be able to explore the health benefits of cannabinoids, but really all plant medicine and started funding some amazing research and mechanistic research, not just understanding from a clinical trial perspective, if you do this intervention, what happens, but why it happens, what's actually happening, and why is Pauline responding differently than Joe compared to somebody older or younger or different ethnicity? What are the predictors to people responding differently? And so did you start doing trial tests with this? Or you just, you know, I assume that you gave some of this to your husband, but you also were doing trial tests on other people. Well, what I gave my husband was what was available, and I was just kind of doing, not that it was an experiment, but what would be considered N equals one test, right? So, like, does this work for my husband or not? And I have no idea what's happening inside him. I can just listen to his patient-reported outcome information, right? But the actual studies we funded, and we funded millions of dollars of research in cannabinoids, like here in UC San Diego, you know, work with University of Utah, UC Irvine, et cetera, was we worked very closely. I would call our approach venture philanthropy. So it wasn't just writing a check, but really bringing in a group of experts. You know, you can see on our website on Holistic, we have unbelievable people from across the country who were helping with, you know, comments on study design and the protocols and things like that. So we really partnered with the universities that we were doing research in. And I mean, that was an amazing experience. And so that's how I got into leveraging a data-driven thinking in healthcare versus before that it was all in marketing, sales, manufacturing, and, you know, how do we improve the top line and the bottom line? Mm -hmm. So that was an amazing, amazing experience. But then between how slow that research is and how expensive it is, and also COVID hitting and basically the physical clinical trials stopping, right? I mean, you weren't going to take sick people. You were doing nothing. Yes. Nothing. (laughs) That's when having had the, and I believe in entrepreneurship, the biggest, most important thing is whatever problem you're solving, you need to know it. You need to feel it. You need to understand the pain. And having been inside this healthcare and clinical trial world for several years and seeing both the really good parts of it, but also where I thought there could be significant improvements to the process, especially leveraging technology, that was the opportunity. And I'm very fortunate to have an incredible co-founder who was feeling similar pain, Dr. Jeff Chen, who had started the UCLA Cannabis Research Initiative. And we had met through my interactions at Holistic, as you can imagine. And he was also experiencing similar frustrations. I mean, because of federal regulations, things that I could go buy at Whole Foods, I mean, CBD, I'm not talking TAC. We couldn't even study that at a university setting. We could not study things that millions of Americans were actually buying and taking. So to me, that was a very illogical place. It is a very illogical place. I mean, even what's going on with cannabis now. I mean, people are on Slack channels inside government operations. And when they put the word cannabis, they shut the Slack channels down. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's a huge disconnect and no one has really completely figured it out. And the government is the last one who was going to figure it out. And back to my point about being objective. So I'm not saying it's good or bad, but if tens of millions of people are using it, wouldn't it be prudent of us to actually understand how these things work and if they're even safe or if they're effective? And if so, given a bunch of people say it works and a bunch of people say it doesn't work, understand those personalized differences. To me, this is a very logical question to ask. I'm not being a proponent or against it. I am just 
being, you know, my engineer self asking critical questions as to, you know, products that lots of people are taking that may actually affect public health. So to me, this was a public health issue more so than any kind of ideological issue, right? I totally agree. It is a public health issue. I mean, it's no different than, you know, you go into families now and they're like, you know, everyone's gotten COVID but me. And it's like, well, why? Right. Right. Why? Why aren't we coming and taking your blood and looking at why you never got the COVID? Exactly. I mean, this is like data that is so essential to healthcare. A hundred percent agree. And to me, these opportunities arise and yet we end up having these sideline conversations which have nothing to do with the issue at hand that can actually has the potential to help so many people. So that's when Jeff and I decided to actually, okay, there is a better way. What we've been doing has been good, but we can even do better, especially for these non-pharmaceuticals. Leave the universities and the research organization to study pharmaceuticals. They have their method. It's super expensive and takes a really long time, but there's a method. But nobody's studying these things that almost everyone takes. I mean, and it's not just cannabinoids. That was an obvious place because of where we were. But what about nootropics? What about microbiome interventions? What was the last time you went in to figure out how much should I take, which one? And nobody knows. Yes. What about, you know, functional mushrooms, you know, reishi, lion's mane? Do they work? Do they not work? For whom? How much? How much should I take? Which brand? Nobody knows. And is it working? And this is the situation all of us are in, spending money on products. We don't even know if they are real first of from a you know purity potency perspective or whether they work for us and even so do I take five milligrams do I take a hundred milligrams I mean you know you know all of it all these products that we can put out on the market and sell with literally no data no information no nothing so our mission has been really very much being an AI driven health tech company to prove and predict the effectiveness of these over-the-counter health and wellness products so that if we can transform them into precision solutions for those people, it works for them. And really basically connect the dots and do it in a fashion where we bring down the barriers to research for them. It's been too expensive and too slow. I mean, if you're selling a pharmaceutical for lots of money, you can afford those trials. These companies cannot. So we had to remove the friction to make it 10x cheaper, 10x faster. And also, back to the data point, you know, a lot of pharmaceutical trials are done on very homogeneous populations because they're small populations. And to get the power on the data, you want to make sure everybody kind of looks like each other. And guess what? Most trials are done on white men. Shocking. (laughs) And... I don't happen to be one. So why a lot of the drugs don't necessarily work for women or different ethnicities. So we also wanted to bring in um, intentional heterogeneity. So there all this talk about diversity and inclusion. I think how about healthcare is a good place for us to start. How about collect data from everyone so that when we are understanding the effectiveness of medication or different interventions, we know how they work for different groups of people. And that could be different demographics. It could even be different behaviors. Well, does it affect coffee drinkers differently than non-coffee drinkers? All kinds of questions can be asked. Yes, 100%. The thing is, we have the technology, we have the ability to collect data in more ways than ever before. Why are we not taking advantage of this? No, it is it is quite amazing. I mean, you think about, I was talking to someone about this last night. And he's uh, invested in a company, which funny enough, I looked at a company doing this eight years ago and I was like, you are way, way, way too early. But the concept that your doctor would say, okay, you have 
X and the best thing for you is this. But I think because of your weight, because you drink coffee, because you exercise four times a week, because you, um, you know, you've got low diabetes, whatever it may be, we're not going to give you this drug that they're doing. What we're going to do is I'm going to write a prescription to your pharmacist and your pharmacist is going to make you a pill based on what I am telling them to do. So it's not, you know, you just take a normal pill. It's like three milligrams. It would be one and a half milligrams of this, half a milligram of this. And it's your own personalized pill that your doctor is recommending for you. I mean, we're not there yet. Um, and this was eight years ago. I saw that she had the machine. But now we are seeing a bunch of this stuff actually come to light. And I, I hope over the next 10 years, we'll see much more, particularly women are actually being studied for menopause or women's health is looked at differently for the first time ever. Absolutely. I mean, that's like such a separate conversation. It's mind boggling that more than half the population gets barely any of the you know analysis, especially when it comes to fertility and all this stuff. But that is not today's combo. It is not. <laughs> but so with radical science, and by the way, radical spelled uh, C-L-E, not C-A-L, because radical means the embryonic root of a plant. So we're really doing plant science, but we're doing it in a radical way. So it was a fun play on words in terms of what we're doing with radical science. But what we're doing, you just brought up a really interesting point in terms of based on your weight or this or that. So those are not things we should guess at. That's where AI and machine learning come into play. When I collect, I don't know, hundreds of data points on you, and you and gazillion other people, which I can because it's easy, when I run AI and machine learning, I don't have to say, well, let's find out what works for women because that's an easy question to ask. But let me run machine learning to figure out what are the specific dimensions that are predictive. It may be that gender has no effect, but what really affects is weight or what really affects is uh, some other factor associated with, you know, uh, you know, your exercise habits or your heart rate variability or whatever it may be. I don't know what they are, but that's the beautiful thing. I don't need to. As long as I collect the data points, you know, and we have sufficiently heterogeneous groups of people and you have sufficient large data sets, machine learning can determine what are the likely predictors by creating the appropriate clusters of people that belong in specific groups. And then you realize uh, the reason they belong to a cluster is these XYZ dimensions and those become the predictors. So yes. it becomes very powerful. So instead of us asking the questions only, which I'm not suggesting we should stop doing, but we augment our asking the questions, the primary, secondary questions, let the machine bubble up these hidden correlations so that we can get towards that precision medicine across other dimensions versus just the ones we've thought about. So how far along are you in Radical? I mean, have you raised, I assume you've raised money and the company's growing and you're starting to make some uh, interesting progress. Are you publishing um, uh, papers on this? Are you just helping organizations who are selling these products? Like, where is all this information and data going to go? Great question. So the company is less than a year and a half old, which is amazing uh, given where we are, because last year was our first full year in business, started in November 2020. Uh, yeah, it's November 2020. Last year during we started COVID. during COVID, <laughs> made money, started a company, hired people, uh, virtual, of course. We started, completed 25 plus um, randomized controlled trials and cannabinoids. And we had nearly, just last year alone, we had nearly 10,000 people, heterogeneous populations that we studied them with. The brands got data on how their products actually affected conditions, everyday conditions such as sleep, 
anxiety, pain, general wellness, and every participant got their own health journey report to see if this product helped them, if so, how much clinically meaningful improvements they've experienced, and how they compare to the rest of the study population. So in our first year alone, we made tremendous progress, including the largest cannabinoid uh, uh, randomized control trial ever done with over 3,000 people, as well as the very first CBD and women's health study ever done, which was also, I was very happy about that, as you can imagine. And this year already, we've uh, completed many uh, randomized uh, placebo-controlled, blinded placebo-controlled trials on some of the rare cannabinoids, CBN, CBG, THCV. So we're looking into all the other cannabinoids that have been, they're getting more and more attention now, but you look at it, no clinical data, maybe some rat studies. Which is so mind-blowing because, you know, you just look at these products that we have as a country and as a world, right? These are really bad for you. And the truth is, what's really bad is alcohol. And so um, what out of these studies, was there anything that you were just like, whoa, what unbelievable data we have gotten from this in terms of, you know, when you did this one on CBD, like, is there anything that you just, you knew, or it was more, were you surprised at? Well, first of all, um, um, we did a, 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 one of our studies, a really, the large, very, very large one I mentioned, that was 13 um, commercially available products. And all the names are in a press release. I can certainly, you know, bring them up. But, you know, like big names such as Charlotte's Web or Lord Jones, as well as smaller companies, uh, all participated because we had lowered the barriers for the price. Anybody can come in to me. So that was amazing. All of them did better than control. So the point, and this is against a validated indices on sleep, anxiety, pain, general wellness, um, um, across the board, every single product did better. There was a variation on the theme as one would expect, but all of them were statistically significant better results compared to control. So that to me was really, really it's exciting. And uh, we are, um, we've published the initial findings in a press release, but a manuscript has been written and being submitted so for peer-reviewed publication because we believe this is going to be some of the first findings. Also on the women's health study, that was a very interesting study because what we did there was uh, we sp published a white paper on this one and another manuscript for peer review has been submitted already. So that's going to get a peer review publication as well. Really looking at dosages because what we did is a multi-arm blinded study on different doses, different form factors, uh, and broad spectrum versus full spectrum to understand the effects of different elements. And we actually did a study on that one to figure out, uh, help a company, a supplement company who was looking to get into the CBD market, and they want to do it scientifically. This is Ray Wellness, a women-owned company, which, you know, of course, uh, we love their products, but I also love their mission. They want to do it right, and they want to put the right product out there. So they basically picked the product to take to market based on the results of a blinded placebo-controlled trial, which I think is so good. That's how we should approach it. So great. I totally agree that's how we approach it. I mean, I was having a conversation with someone uh, yesterday. There is this two women that have a, a profit organization, and essentially you can go there uh, like you would get a sommelier's license, but you have one on cannabis or CBD and all this kind of stuff. And so to me, 
when you're walking in these stores and you're purchasing these products, sure, some of them are just for fun to get stoned and whatever, but a lot of them are people are coming in with pain or sleep disorders. And we need real data to say, hey, this is this is going to work for you. This isn't just some random like try this. Um, and, and I hope that the more and more of this data is getting out there as the country will be completely able to sell any of these products over the counter. Absolutely. So that's we've been on a mission. At this point, we have conducted dozens and dozens of trials, and we have recently expanded beyond just cannabinoids into functional mushrooms, nootropics, microbiome interventions, and really exploring the conditions that most Americans suffer from, and they are turning to quote-unquote alternative meds, pain, sleep, anxiety, mental clarity, focus, digestive health, energy, appetite. So those are the conditions we're studying. They're not diseases because that's a whole different world. That's pharmaceuticals. And we have enough people working on that. But yet these products are being sold over the counter. Yet we don't have enough research or data on the specific concepts as in do cannabinoids help or functional mushrooms help? And then also, what about this unique blend from this one company versus another company? Because everybody has different formulations, different absorption methodology. So we study the formulations. We don't just study the API. We study the full what's in the bottle, what's in the pill. That way you can compare different products as well. And uh, by publishing the results, by giving the data back to the brand so that they can publish the results and make the appropriate marketing claims around them, we're empowering brands, we're empowering consumers so that they can, you know, decide what products to take and whether they should even take them. Is there even sufficient data for somebody like them? Uh, So we are a B Corp. We're a public benefit corporation because that's really our mission. I mean, we absolutely want to change how healthcare is done, give power back to the people and leverage data to empower both health and business decisions for all involved in the value chain, from manufacturers to, uh, you know, consumers, obviously. But, you know, how many doctors, when you go to them, say, oh, you should take this specific supplement? They don't even know because they don't have the data. They don't. No, I mean, I've been to doctors and I've had, you know, everyone says, well, you should try this one or try this one. And I'm just like, well, what is this? Right. What what's in this? What does it do? And I always ask those questions, but nobody knows the answer except, well, it's worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> right? And and that's not an answer because I'm not you. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, I'm laughing because I, what you said is I think every single one of us experienced this and it's like, okay, is this 2022 and we're actually having this conversation? We can have the most perfectly precision advertisement about what I wanted to buy and what my dogs and my kids want. It's so perfectly precise. And yet for whatever I'm supposed to for medication, we're like, oh, let's guess. Like, why? (laughs) Why? 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 So, you know, I, I so love what you're doing because it, First of all, to me, it's common sense, right? I mean, and, you know, as I'm starting to take a deep dive into that world as everyone else is, you know, this CBD product is the best for me. It makes me feel so much better. It relieves my pain. And then someone else is like, God, I I didn't do anything for me. Right. Right. And so, and you could just buy it at any local shop. You can go into Erewhon and buy like tons of these products and, there's no regulation. There's no information. And so I think what you're doing is fantastic. Is Thank anyone you. else doing what you're doing? Not to our knowledge, which is, uh, it's a uh, shocking too. 
it's but it's also I mean it, it is shocking but we it the thing is we really have created a very unique and innovative way to do this it is expensive and it takes a long time and typically these trials are very small we really re reimagined them to be not kidding more than 10x cheaper more than 10x faster and way over 10x bigger in scale with the heterogeneous population so we've changed the game and there are not too many groups of people with like you know a data analytics tech CEO with an amazing MD scientist researchers who come together. We are covering two very different domains with a very similar passion in leveraging this kind of thinking to change healthcare. So um, we feel very grateful. <laughs> well, it goes back to what you said. Also goes back to the quote that I said. I mean, right? I mean, the two of you come from completely yeah. different backgrounds and coming together makes a really interesting thought process about what we should be doing to solve a problem you both care about. The diversity in our thinking is our power. The diversity in our backgrounds. He's of, you know, first generation Chinese, of course, been brought up with a bunch of Chinese meds. I'm born and raised in Turkey, Mediterranean herbs. So, but I'm an engineer, so I question everything. I have critical thinking. So it's just all of the above is this very interesting combination, which works. That's the best yeah. part. It works. And and what works is we're coming up with data, we're coming up with new ways of thinking that is helping the whole population. And that is truly our mission. You know, it's health outcome data. Yes. 100%. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on this. I love what you're doing. And thank I want you. to see these papers as they come out, as I'm selling products and want to tell people like, this is why this works, right? Instead of just making this stuff up on the fly, which I think most of the people that are selling it to you are. No, I really appreciate it. No, Radical Sciences are truly is on a mission, which is why we have attracted the kind of talent we have to the company. We are growing like crazy, um, you know, amazing team, incredible uh, brands who are coming to us, not just once, but for all their formulations, because now that it works, they're like, they want to incorporate other formulations through this. And we believe that this energy, this momentum is only going to grow and is going to, the outcome is more data on these products everybody takes so that we can approach precision medicine for over-the-counter products, perhaps even earlier than pharmaceuticals because of the speed with which we can actually execute. And completely and share the data openly because nothing is being patented. This is not about patent. This is about sharing the data openly so it benefits public good. We need more of that. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. Oh my God, this is great. I just so appreciate the interest and the, you know, and the conversation. I've really thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye -bye. All right. Bye-bye. To learn more about Radical Science, you can visit their website at Radical, R-A-D-I-C-L-E, science.com. And our next guest on Positively Gotham Gal will be Samara Daly, the nonprofit expert who launched Let's Talk Menopause, hoping to finally break the taboo.